0: Psychoneural endocrinology is the study of relations among psychological factors in the nervous system and the endocrine system in determining our behavior and our health. And you know what? It focuses on the effects of psychological stress on the neuroendocrine system and the effects that changes in these systems have on behavior in normal and psychopathological states. Robert Sapolsky Here's this example. Think about the chicken crossing the road. Well, why did the chicken cross the road? Well, a psychoneuroendocrinologist would say that the reason the chicken crossed the road is because circulating estrogen levels in a chicken worked in a certain part of the brain to make a female chicken responsive to male signaling. Now, It would be different. A bioengineer would have a different answer to this question. And an evolutionary biologist would have a different answer to this question. But in the end, who made them do it? Well, who made us do things? Who makes us do things that work against our best interests? Satanus is the Greek word for Satan. Part of speech, it's a noun, masculine. Its phonetic spelling is S A T hyphen A N hyphen A S. Its definition is the adversary, Satan, the devil. And its usage is an adversary means Satan, the adversary, the accuser. So, what does it mean when we say the devil made me do it? And what does it mean? to run with the devil welcome to the stephen thompson experience my name is stephen thompson and this is my experience i'm back back again here in 2020 with the stephen thompson experience just going to be talking about music going to be talking about a little bit of spirituality going to be helping you to find a space in this world to move forward with positive contribution and hopefully get you to think critically about some divergent topics Let's kick it off right here. Running with the Devil is the second single from Van Halen's 1978 debut album, and it was inspired by the Ohio Players' song, Running with the Devil. And in fact, it was named in 2009, the ninth greatest rock song of all time by VH1. In fact, Chuck Klosterman of Vulture ranked it as the eighth best Van Halen song, and he praised the staccato bass playing, and he also praised David Lee Ross' vocal performance. And we also take the time out to honor Eddie Van Halen, who recently passed away. But what is really cool about Running With The Devil is the song begins with horns blaring. And what was really neat about this is the horns that were blaring were coming from the band's own cars. And what the band had built, Eddie Van Halen had built this box that he ran with two batteries from a car and a foot switch. And at the time when they went to record it, Gene Simmons of Kiss had brought the band to New York where they did the track and they did the recording. Now, they didn't sign into a deal at the time, but that's when they made the first recording of Running with the Devil. Now, some people say that Running with the Devil is about Satan worship. Well, I don't really particularly think that it's about Satan worship. And let's jump into the lyrics. And I want to give you kind of a different twist and spin on running with the devil but first let's look at the beginning lyrics david lee roth begins by saying i live my life like there's no tomorrow and all i've got i had to steal least i don't need to beg or borrow yes i'm living at a pace that kills oh yeah running with the devil Ah oh, yeah running with the devil it says i found the simple life ain't so simple when i jumped out on that road i've got no love no love you call real Ain't got nobody waiting at home. So what stands out here? Well, first of all, we got this idea, this concept. First of all, I live my life like there's no tomorrow. That sounds really positive. It sounds free. It sounds liberating. I'm living my life with no tomorrow. But then he starts to get a little bit more serious, and the plot begins to turn a bit. I'm living at a pace that kills. And then he says, running with the devil. Let's think about the pace that we may perhaps be living at in our lives at any point in time. We get up early in the morning. We shower. We commute. We stop at Starbucks. We stop for fast food. We hit our office. We work. We're back at home. But what I've noticed in this time of pandemic, pandemic is the time to slow down. And the pace is no longer a pace That is killing. We know that speed and chronic stress hurts. So the first example of running with the devil with the adversary is this idea of a pace that kills. Then the next thing we have here is this idea of I found the simple life ain't so simple. I jumped out on the road. I got no love. No love you call real. Ain't got nobody waiting at home. So here's your second strike. No authentic love. No authentic connection. Nobody's waiting at home. So this is now kind of turned into not a devil-worshipping song, but this idea of this sort of story life that we have leaves you with perhaps some sort of fun in the instant But then really, over time, the consequences leave you alone. And I want to look at consequences and consequences of decisions and breaking commitments. I always kind of hear a lot of times when we want to forgive somebody of some sort of indiscretion, whether it be a politician, whether it be a minister, whether it be, a teacher, or police officer, even a grocery store worker. They did something wrong. Well, David did something wrong too. David cheated on Bathsheba, and David was fine. We can forgive David for how he cheated on Bathsheba. But that's not really the entire story. The story isn't simply about adultery. The story is about murder. Do you know Uriah the Hittite? Well, Uriah the Hittite was Bathsheba's husband. And at the time, Uriah the Hittite was out fighting a war, and David should have been at that war, but he wasn't. He was walking around his palace, and he happened to see Bathsheba bathing. We all know the story. David went to Bathsheba. Bathsheba became pregnant, but that's not the whole story. So first, Bathsheba finds out she's pregnant. David freaks out. But what he does, he says, okay, here's his first plot. He will bring back Uriah the Hittite, and he will have Uriah – encourage Uriah the Hittite, hey, go with your wife. Go spend time with her. So then he could blame the pregnancy on Uriah the Hittite. Everything's cool. I'm out of it. But Uriah the Hittite won't do it. He comes home, and he sleeps outside because he doesn't want to spend time with his wife while – The soldiers are fighting. He doesn't believe he enjoys that luxury or deserves that luxury. So Uriah the Hittite refuses. So now we've got pregnant woman. Uriah the Hittite is out front. Goes back to war. David sends word to his commander Joab. He says to him, put Uriah the Hittite up front where the fighting is the most fierce And then pull back. Well, of course, when that happens, Uriah is killed. When he's killed, the Bible says God was displeased. This is a little bit different from what we hear. It's not just the simple David committed adultery, all is good, he's a man after God's own heart. No, we have murder. We have a cover-up and we have a very upset deity. Now, one of the lessons here is that we can often find ourselves in situations where we have done something, broken a commitment, done something wrong, and we may not know it. We may try to cover it up, and we may think that we've gotten away scot-free, everything is fine, but then along comes someone to point out what we have done wrong. You see, when we do wrong, sometimes it's out in the open, and people will soon know about it. So the Bible says that God sent Nathan the prophet to David, and Nathan tells a story to David. And this is something unique, too. He doesn't simply come in and say you were a bad person. He tells him a story. He tells a story about two people in town. One was a very wealthy man, and one was a very poor man. And the very poor man only had one little sheep. And the very rich man had a large number of sheep. And the rich man went to the poor person and took the one sheep, the one sheep that the poor person, poor man had for his entire family. And he took it. And he gave it to the rich man. The rich man took it from the poor man, even though he had a ton of sheep, ton of options. He took the one poor man's sheep and then nathan the prophet says what should you do with this person and david gets upset he gets mad he says this person who did this who took this poor person's sheep this person should be killed because he had no shame no pity so he must pay for that lamb four times over and he must die and then nathan turned to him and said you are that man You are the person who was blessed with a kingdom. You were blessed with many wives. You were blessed with the entire kingdom, and you took one man's wife for your own selfishness. And then he says something else. What we usually don't hear, he says that because you killed Uriah the Hittite. He says in the book of 2 Samuel, He says, look, you struck him down. You killed him. So the sword will never depart from your house. And I'm going to bring calamity from your own house. I'm going to take your wives and give them to the one who is closest to you. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. And then he says, the baby that you had will die. Now, many years later, David's son... David's son, Absalom, takes over the kingdom and throws David out for a little bit of time and does exactly what is Nathan prophesies. Also, the baby that David and Bathsheba has dies. It is struck dead. So it's not as simple. It's not as simple as he committed adultery and everything was okay. And it's not as simple In our current day situation, when someone does something wrong, to simply say, well, they did it, now let's move on. You see, the decisions that we make have consequences. And we need to consider the consequences of our decisions before we act. Now, let's bring this out of the realm of spirituality into the realm of everyday life, because not everybody who listens to the Stephen Thompson experience and everybody who listens to the Van Halen is not necessarily a person who is a practicing, you know, evangelical Christian or a person of faith or a person of spirituality, but you may be in a leadership position. This is what I want you to see. See David as a secular king in this position. Because people see your actions. People see the king of a nation taking another man's wife. Everybody knew what David was doing. The consequences of our decisions. So how do we stop ourselves from making bad decisions? Because there are bad decisions that we can make. Think about it. If you're a married individual and you suddenly have an attraction to somebody who isn't your spouse. You can simply tell yourself this story that things will be awesome. But guess what? You're not telling yourself the story of the consequences that could possibly occur if you do do it. You're not talking about the divorce that could happen. You're not talking about the money that you'd have to spend in divorce attorneys. You're not thinking about those things You're simply thinking about what could be obtained in the moment. And it's not just confined to marriage. It's confined to bad decisions that we consistently make in our lives on a daily basis. When we make bad decisions, do we think about the consequences of said decision that we'd make? Well, difference between thought suppression and having a new force, a new focus. Sometimes we simply suppress our thoughts. Let's say we think about something we don't want to do. We try to stop thinking about it. Well, we need to do something different. Suppression doesn't work. What does need to work is thinking about a new focus, a new positive memory. So let's say something about this. Say you you don't like your job, and you're going to get mad, and you're going to write an angry email to your superiors. Now, you're not thinking about those That angry email is going to probably upset your superior, and they may fire you, they may not. You may say to yourself, I don't like my job. Well, well, let's do this example. Think about your job. Do you work for a paycheck? Well, yes, you do. Okay, that's something positive about your job. Do you have health care? Yes, you have health care on your job. Okay. Do you get to make decisions on your job? Yes, you get to make decisions. So these are three things right off the bat that you have that are positive about your situations that you would lose If you make a poor decision, consider the consequences first. The next thing, Nathan, the prophet came to David and he told him what he clearly did wrong. And this is what I think people could say that David was a man after God's own heart. This is the humility aspect that we miss. It is not simply David cheated with Bathsheba and he was forgiven. It was that Nathan, the prophet came and called David out. And told David he was wrong. And what do you notice that's different? Immediately, David knew that he was wrong. He apologized. He knew he was sorry. He said he sinned against the Lord. And this is just not about sinning against the Lord. Let's think about in the world. How many times do you see somebody say that they're wrong? Admit that they're wrong. People don't admit that they're wrong. Obviously if you have two points of view not both of both of those points of view can't possibly be right. We see it play out every day, don't we? We have two political parties, both of them have different views. One of them has to be wrong. You have multiple policy proposals. Someone has to be wrong. In 1960, the fourth presidential debate, both John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon were debating communism in Cuba. They both had two different policy proposals. John F. Kennedy proposed that we arm the Cuban dissidents, exiles, and they will overthrow Fidel Castro. Richard Nixon said, no, the Cuban people will overwhelm and revolt against Fidel Castro if we isolate Cuba. Two policy proposals. Both ended up wrong. Fidel Castro outlived nine U.S. presidents. The Bay of Pigs failed when JFK tried to arm Cuban exiles. And we isolated Cuba with sanctions. A revolution never occurred. Nine presidents. That was the policy. So in these situations, both were wrong. But who's going to admit that they're wrong? But you know what? Think about this. Here's something about not admitting that you're wrong. People have a fragile ego, such as brittle self-esteem, weak psychological constitution that admitting they have made a mistake Or that they were wrong is fundamentally too threatening to their egos to tolerate. Accepting they were wrong, absorbing that reality would be so psychologically shattering, their defense mechanisms do something remarkable to avoid doing so. They literally distort the perception of reality to make it reality less threatening. Their defense mechanism to protect their fragile ego. And that comes from psychology psychology today. Guy Winch, PhD. I wrote a book called The Squeaky Wheel. And the title of that was Why Certain People Will Never Admit That They're Wrong. So you can't live your life and be a productive leader if you don't admit that you're wrong. There are powerful reasons. You should just admit your mistake. Here's a takeaway today. Admit your mistake. It makes you better. This is from an organization called Makes Me Better. They give several reasons why admitting your mistakes are powerful. See, mistakes are always forgivable if you dare to admit them. It saves you from guilt. You don't need to tell any more lies. It shows that you're honesty and it shows that you're courageous. It helps you to move on. It gives you more chances to correct your mistakes. And it really, it makes you a humble person. So let's think about this. David admits his mistake. He takes Bathsheba in because now she doesn't have a husband. So he brings her in, takes her in. They eventually have another child who is Solomon, who becomes king. And we all know about Solomon. So we can come back from our mistakes, but you have to admit them. You have to admit your mistakes. So if there's one thing I want us to take away, think about running with the devil. I got no love. No love you'd call real. Ain't got nobody waiting at home. So if you want to move from a position of fast, killer pace and stop, slow down, we need what satisfies. And that's love and authentic connection based upon trust, mutual support, and positive contribution to a worthy cause, a goal, or an effort. And in order to do that, we need to admit that the we're wrong from time to time. See, somebody has to back down. It may have to be you, but what's wrong with that? What's wrong with admitting that you're wrong? Because you see the science in the data says that those of you who don't admit that you're wrong, got a fragile ego. You're hiding that scared self who wants to be protected, but you know, it shows more courage to admit that you're wrong. Because you see, your mistakes are on display in front of the whole world. So why not just admit it? You see, people knew that David had killed Uriah the Hittite. They knew what he did was wrong. He was the king of a nation, but he had the power to get away with it. And why was he going to question him? So... Why not admit that you're wrong? And that's the lesson to take away from David and Goliath. Not David and Goliath. David and Meshiva. It's not simply you make a mistake and we'll just gloss over it. It's number one, your mistakes have consequences. Your bad choices have consequences. Justice. There can be, ju- there will be justice. Know that. There is justice for our bad decisions, okay? There's justice for our bad decisions. There's poor. Con- there are consequences for our bad decisions, but there is a opportunity for restoration. There's opportunity for repair only if you misadmit your mistakes. You see, if you don't admit your mistakes, you will not move to repair or restoration, and that is what we see today in our culture. We call people names and we don't realize we hurt them and we don't expect them to be hurt. We need to say that we're sorry for hurting people. Number one, in order to have repair and restoration. The second thing we need to admit when we are wrong. Both People, both sides, cannot be correct at the same time. And if we want to achieve our highest goals and our highest aspirations for both ourselves as individuals and as our society, we need to be willing to say that we're wrong. We need to be willing to listen to somebody else's point of view. If you only double down, if somebody brings something to you and the only thing you can do is reintroduce your point, you're missing something. You see, David could have had Nathan the prophet killed. Nathan brought him bad news. But David knew that something he did was wrong. That takes introspection. That takes reflection. That is the lesson to learn. An introspective reflective person will be able to repair and restore relationships because we are all vulnerable. We are all in our humanity imperfect. So what we need to do from this day forward, let's decide to think about the possible negative consequences of our choices and our decisions. Let's try to walk through life Knowing that we're not always right. Be willing to listen to someone else and think, hey, maybe somebody knows more than me. I know a lot. They know a lot. Let's maybe work together and both of us can come up with the right decision. And that is not a sign of weakness. Because we see the sign of weakness is the frail ego that holds on to their right all the time. That's what the science says. I mean, that's what's pointed out in the scriptures if you don't believe in the science. So let's move forward confidently, knowing that we can be the best that we can be. This is Stephen Thompson, and this has been my experience. I'm going to be doing episodes on Van Halen all the rest of this month. So come check me out every Sunday with a new episode. Next week, we're coming back with another Van Halen song. I don't remember which one we're going to do next week. I'm going to check it out. But we're going to be doing Van Halen all this week. This is Stephen Thompson, and this has been my experience. Have a great one.